today's scripture, and you know what? I don't have the passage for it. There it is, Luke 1, 57 through 80. It's not on my paper, sorry. <laughs> you guys can be seated. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circum circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to, her, to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about all through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up, in, laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us and in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thanks for reading that, Jamie. Uh, well, I just want to say thanks to everyone uh, who came out yesterday for Christmas in the Heights. It was cold, and it was wet, but it was fun, right? Uh, it was a good time just to be out in our community, to partner with our neighbors here on the block, to bless our neighborhood, and to bless uh, the block together, uh, which is what we're called to do. Uh, hey, it is uh, Christmas movie season, right? Uh, you still have a week left to binge your favorite Christmas movies, uh, whether they are cheesy, whether they are heartfelt. Uh, it is the season where, for some reason or another, we turn on those movies uh, and we experience the magic of Christmas, right? Now, in a lot of the movies, there is this common theme, right? There's the character who doesn't believe in Christmas anymore. Uh, whether that's the Scrooge character or the Grinch character, there's usually someone who doesn't believe uh, in what everyone else is feeling, what everyone else is seeing with the season. And usually, oftentimes, the plot line is about convincing them to believe, right? Convincing them uh, to see and believe what everyone else is feeling. Now, I, I think one movie in particular recently captured this uh, skepticism around Christmas uh, really well, and that is the movie The Polar Express. Uh, it came out maybe, I don't know, it's like 10, 15 years ago now. Maybe you love it. Uh, it's, it's got Josh Groban singing music, so like, how can you say no to that? It's just a, it's a, it's a movie that moves you. Uh, but if you're unfamiliar with the plot, I'll just kind of give you a little synopsis. There's a, a boy who's becoming older, right? And as he becomes older, he has some questions about Christmas. He's got some skepticism 
about Christmas. And so he's visited by the Polar Express on Christmas Eve, which is a train that takes him to the North Pole. And along the way, he meets a lot of characters who look like Tom Hanks. And he eats hot chocolate, drinks hot chocolate, and he has a good time. Uh, and then they arrive at the North Pole, right? The, the decisive moment in his journey, right as the elves are gathered, right as the gifts are about to be delivered, right as Santa is about to make an appearance. Right? He's still a skeptic, and he's still a doubter. Now, this is a really pivotal scene, and, and I actually want to use this scene as we talk about the passage this morning. So we're going to watch just two minutes of this scene in particular, because I want you to have this in your head. Now, something that you have to understand about the movie. Uh, Christmas bells are used as a symbol throughout the movie. Right? So if you believe in the magic of Christmas, you can hear the Christmas bells. But when you don't believe, you can't hear them. Uh, the bells don't work for you. That's going to be really important uh, as you watch the next two-minute clip. So we're going to cue it up. Uh, we're going to enjoy a little Christmas movie here just for two minutes, and then we're going to talk about it. that you said. I believe. All right, there you go. Polar Express. So maybe you haven't watched that one yet this Christmas. Uh, but here, here's why I, I think that scene is really important. All right, uh, there's a couple things I just want to tease out from that as we start to approach the story of Zechariah. Right. One is this, uh, that... Uh, so this child, right, he's there in the, in the scene at the North Pole, right? And, and everyone who is there is excited. Uh, there's an energy to the room. The music is pulsing, right? It is, uh, everyone is freaking out because he is about to come, right? Santa is about 
to be there. And, and all the while, you see him, like, he, he honestly, earnestly wants to see, he wants to know what everyone else believes, he wants to be convinced of what everyone else is seeing, but the noise and the clamor and the, the hype and the hysteria of the moment is actually preventing him from being able to see uh, what it is that he's looking for, and being able to find the answer to the question that he's seeking. Right? And, and, and maybe that's you around the Christmas season, right? Like, uh, like maybe you remember growing up, going to church, and maybe you were even Mary or Joseph in the, in the church Christmas pageant, right? But there came a moment in your life uh, where, where you struggled with doubt, or you struggled with uh, maybe some skepticism, right? And, and now you come to church around Christmas because it's what your family does. It's what you did growing up. It's a tradition. But, uh, and there's lots of noise, right? We do lots of things around Christmas. We did a big Christmas neighborhood event yesterday. There's concerts and, and all kinds of things that you can watch and you can engage in. Uh, but maybe your questions go unanswered along the way. You, you feel kind of the emptiness of it. Like he, if you notice, he picks up that bell, which represents this belief, right? He, he moves it past his ear, and if you listen really closely, uh, you can hear the, the word doubter whispered as it's, as it's moving past his ear. He, he's in the room, uh, he's seeing the, the, the celebration, and yet he feels the emptiness of it. I think that might describe a lot of people around Christmas who, who come to church because it's the tradition and they, they like the concert or like the music or the, they like being together with family, but, but there's these deeper nagging questions that they can't get over, uh, that, that they feel like the emptiness of, of the answers that they've gotten. They're skeptics at Christmas. And maybe that's how you feel this morning, or maybe that's how a loved one feels this morning. And in the midst of all the things that happen around the season, they have these nagging questions but what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I actually go about this thing? Right? So maybe that describes you this morning. But the other thing that's really important to, to tease out of this is, is that oftentimes our approach to the questions or the skepticism that people have is to instruct people or tell people to do what that boy did. Uh, which is this, that, that you, you kind of are holding the thing that represents your, your questions or your, your struggle or your disbelief. And what we ask people to do or often tell people to do is close your eyes and believe. Right? If you just believe in these things, if you just pray this prayer, if you just believe in these couple things and you have to convince yourself and tell yourself and feel it deep in your heart, then you will see it. Right? We have sort of a, a, a blind faith kind of mentality that says, all you have to do is just close your eyes and believe, and then you'll see, you'll make sense of Jesus, you'll make sense of the forgiveness of the freedom that he offers you. And, and all the while, you notice it took him three times. He, he's convincing himself. He says, okay, I want to believe these things. I believe. And then the second time is a question, I believe. And he says, I believe. And then what happens? Then the man appears, right? So then Santa appears. I think sometimes that's the, the way that we present Christianity to pre people, right? Is that, is that the best thing that you can do, or, or what you really need to do is, is you need to close your eyes, uh, you need to pray this prayer, and, and you need to convince yourself that you believe, and, and some of you, some of us, like, have this experience of, like, maybe it's an emotional experience, right, where it's, whether it's at camp or at church or some kind of conference, and, and the emotions of the moment, you say, I believe, I feel this deep inside my heart, and, and so because of that, then I believe. Because of my belief, I'm a Christian. But the problem is, what happens as soon as you open your eyes? As soon as you open your eyes to the, to the realities of life, right, to the hard stuff of life. That, 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 that boy, his belief in Santa, his belief in the magic of Christmas was actually based on himself. Right? It was based on himself convincing himself that I believe these things, that I feel this. And so I believe, I believe, I believe. And so because I believe and because I feel it, then it's true. 
But, but so many people, like, this is their approach to Christianity. They, they, they have a moment where they feel like the chills, they feel the moment, and they pray a prayer. They say, I believe. But their belief is based on their feelings. Or, or it's based on what's going on inside of them. It's based on what they think they believe about God or what they think they believe about Jesus. And then they grow up, right? And then they open their eyes uh, to, to the hard things of life. Right? Suffering or, or questions or, or injustice or, or the pain in our world. And, and, and their eyes are open to these things, but they can't feel the, that thing that they felt when they first believed. And oftentimes then, then you maybe go to someone who is a Christian uh, and, and their approach is, well, just close your eyes. You have to believe harder. Right? Just believe harder. Like, don't look at those things over there. Don't look at the hard things over there. Just, just believe. Right? Just believe in these things. And all the while, their eyes are open. And the people who are over here with their eyes closed, huddled, saying, well, we're just going to believe, right? they're not answering the questions that people are asking whose eyes are open, who are looking at the hard stuff of life. And so people walk away. Or people say, if Christianity requires me to close my eyes and just, just say I believe until I feel it, then, then I don't want that. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't answer the questions that I'm asking because my eyes are open. And oftentimes we have a polar express kind of Christianity it says, all you have to do is just close your eyes, pray a prayer, and say, I believe, and that's good. That's all you need. Then you'll see Jesus. Then everything will make sense for you. Then it will all click. But oftentimes, people will pray a prayer as a kid, and then they grow up, their eyes are open, and now it doesn't make sense for them anymore. And this is important because the story of Zechariah is a story of a skeptic. It's a story of a guy, like, like Christmas, the story of Christmas in Luke doesn't begin with the nice, cute nativity scene. It begins with Elizabeth and Zachariah in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their skepticism. Right? So, so two weeks ago, we looked at Elizabeth and Zachariah, and we looked specifically at Elizabeth. Uh, right? So if you weren't there two weeks ago, just a, a recap of who they are. They're, they're an old couple. They've been married for several decades, and they have struggled to have kids. And they've struggled so long that it's now past the time when it's even possible. And so Zechariah is a priest, and he's called up to serve in the temple, and his lot falls to him, and he actually gets to serve inside of the temple. He gets to offer prayers in the place that only a few people get to go. And in that room, as he's doing that, an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a kid. God has heard your prayers, and you're going to have a child. If you have your Bible, in Luke chapter 1, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but I want to come back to it because it's really important to understand Zechariah in, in verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. Luke, or Zechariah says this, How shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's skeptical of the words that the angel says. He, he doesn't just blindly believe it. And, and just think about like him and his experience. He's, he's had decades of hopes crushed. Now, he's had decades of, of hoping for a child and maybe waiting for a child and then that hope being crushed. So his skepticism comes from pain. It also comes from just science, right? He, he probably understands a little bit of biology and so he understands, hey, we're like in our 80s and 90s. Like the probability of this is very, very unlikely. So he asks the skeptical question. He says, I don't think that I can believe this. He's in a sense saying, prove it to me. And the angel says in verse 19, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. This message is coming to you from God himself. And then in verse 20, something really weird happens. It says, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So because of Zechariah's question, he is unable to speak and unable to hear. He's, in a sense, it seems like judged 
for his question. And, and I told you two weeks ago to, to hold on to the tension of that because we're going to talk about it today, and so I'm making good on my promise from two weeks ago. It seems kind of harsh, right? Like he's asking this question, and then all of a sudden he can't speak, he can't talk, he can't hear. Like, like what's the deal with that? You see, this is what's really important to get. Right? What, what appears like judgment in the story is actually mercy. What appears like judgment is actually mercy, and here's why. So Zechariah, as the priest, he's in the holy temple, right? And, and to, in order to go in there, you had to go through a lot of ritual cleansings. You had to make sure that you were sinless. You had to make sure that, that you weren't bringing any lying or deceit or, or anything in your heart. You couldn't bring it into that space. And so he would have gone through all these things to make sure that he confessed things and he was clean so that he could be in that space. In fact, it was so important that uh, in the book of Exodus, it describes this process. And, uh, and in fact, the priest had to wear this robe that had bells on the bottom of it. So that every time that the priest moved inside the temple, he's the only one in there, you could hear it on the outside. And so if the bells stopped ringing, it was a problem. Right? That maybe Zechariah had missed a sin. Maybe he had lied to us about a couple of things. And, and Luke, in fact, points to this in verse 21. He says, while this is happening, people are anxious outside. Because something is not quite right. They're concerned that Zechariah has maybe been struck dead inside the holy temple. Which means this. Zechariah asks his question, and he's not struck dead. So the question is not perceived as sin. It's not perceived as, as somehow an offense against God. So then what is it? What is going on with this, you can't hear and you can't speak? You see, what does that leave Zechariah? It leaves his eyes. In a sense, what Gabriel is saying is, I want you to watch and wonder at what God is about to do. Gabriel says, you're going to see these things fulfilled. And and so in a sense, Gabriel is putting Zechariah in a position where the only thing that he can do for nine months is watch and wonder at what God is going to do in his life. It's not a blind faith to say, Gabriel doesn't come to him and say, hey, just, just hear me again, believe it again, and then you'll see it. He says, okay, you want proof? Like, you can't speak, you can't hear. All you're going to be able to do is watch what God's going to do. See, and, and this is so important to get. Because, because Polar, Polar Express Christianity says, close your eyes and believe it until you feel it. But biblical Christianity isn't about that. Biblical Christianity is about what God has done in Jesus, how God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And so the invitation throughout all the stories of Jesus is to see and believe. Not to close your eyes until you feel it. Not to close your eyes until all your questions go away. But to open your eyes and to see who Jesus is. This is why the whole story of Christmas is about God coming to us in Jesus in a way that you and I can understand. In a way that you and I can see. It's like the man behind the curtain has now come to us and we can see him and experience him and know him. God is erasing any questions and says, if you want to know who I am, here I am. Open your eyes and see. In fact, this is how Luke began his gospel. If you remember, we were a couple weeks ago, we looked at Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke says this, many have undertaken to tell this story. Many have tried to tell you this story of the things that have been accomplished among us. That God has done something in history that everyone could see. God has revealed himself in Jesus. And he says this, that those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So I want you to see these things, my friend Theophilus, so you might have certainty in what you believe. See, Christianity is not based on your belief. It's not based on whether you feel it. It's not even based on whether or not you pray a prayer or not, whether you have one of those moments where you just close your eyes and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. That's not what Christianity is. 
Christianity is about God revealing himself to us in Jesus. Seeing and, and then believing in who he is. Right? When, when, when the followers of Jesus told the story about Jesus, they didn't invite everyone to close their eyes until they felt something. They said, look at history. Look at who Jesus is. Let me show you the evidence of who he is. And in light of that, as your eyes are open, then believe in who he is. You see, this is really important because, because the danger of closing your eyes and saying, I believe, right? and that's why, that's why I know I'm a Christian, that's, is that you're basing that on yourself. Right? And, and that God is just an idea. And if God is just an idea, then he can be whatever you want. He, he, can, he can teach whatever you want. And oftentimes when God is just an idea that I close my eyes and I believe in, he always agrees with me. Right? He always agrees with me on all the issues. And any place that I think he might disagree with me on, I just don't talk to him. Right, like, but if God has revealed himself in Jesus, if he has acted in history to come to us, now God is not an idea, God is a reality. God is a person, and if he is a person, he has a will, and he might disagree with me. And so this is why oftentimes we like kind of polar express Christianity or polar express spirituality because uh, it's just whatever I believe, whatever feels good. But if God disagrees with me, I don't want that. But what Zechariah is, is realizing is that God wants to show him who he is. God has acted decisively in history. You can think about it this way. In Polar Express, right, uh, you only hear the bells if you believe. Right? And so it's up to you to believe, to feel it in your heart. But what the story of Jesus is, is God has, in a, in a sense, rung a resounding gong in history. Right? When Jesus came to earth and he lived among us and then died for us, it is God ringing a bell in all of history. He says, if you want to know who I am, if you want to understand who I am, it's not about you closing your eyes and just feeling something. It's about looking at Jesus. God has revealed himself so that you can know him. So becoming a Christian isn't about blind faith. It's about opening your eyes and seeing who he is. And so if you're a skeptic this morning, right, or maybe you have some struggle or some doubt you resonate with, with Polar Express Kid there this morning, I want to challenge you with something. All right, and that's this. Uh, that Jesus said if, if we want to know him, if we want to see who he is, right, all of the scriptures point to him. They all point to him, right? These accounts are by people who encountered Jesus, who then wrote it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to tell us who he is. And so if you're skeptical, or if you have doubts this morning, and you're just here because it's Christmas and it's the thing that you do, I want to challenge you to do this. For the next 30 days, you can start out the day after Christmas if you want. For the next 30 days, Pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They are written to, so that you could see and believe in who Jesus is. Every day, read a chapter. And every day, as you read this chapter, begin with this prayer. Jesus, I don't know if you're there, but show me who you are. I don't know, what, like, just try it. Jesus, I don't know who you are, but show me who you are. Right? What do you have to lose? Right? At, at the end of a month, go on with your life. But if in 30 days, right, you open up the gospels and you're honestly seeking to see and believe in who Jesus is. You say, Jesus, show me who you are. He's going to show you who he is. Because God wants you to know him. It's not about blind faith. It's about seeing and believing in who Jesus is. And, and here's what you'll discover as you read the story. You'll discover the same thing that Zechariah discovers. You'll discover God's ability meeting your inability. God's ability meeting your inability. We read this morning the back half of Zechariah's story. In, uh, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. He said, nine months of just watching, 
watching in wonder at what God is doing. He can't hear, so no opinions. He can't speak, so no, no opinions from him. He's just watching and wondering. And then the baby is born. And everyone's clamoring. They're like, okay, what's the name going to be? And, and everyone is saying, hey, name him Zachariah, right? Name him after you, Zachariah, because he's your boy. You want him to know. Obviously, something special here happened. But what does Zachariah do? He says this, John is his name. Now, now in, that's actually in the, in the Greek that it was written, and John comes first. The emphasis is that John is his name, and his name has already been decided. What Zechariah is saying is that it's not up to me to name the boy. God has already named the boy because it was God's ability that brought him about. Zechariah recognized, I had nothing to do with this. I didn't have the ability in myself to produce this child. God worked. He provided this child for me when I was unable to. And that is the story of Jesus played out in real time. That you and I are unable to produce anything good. We are unable to produce the goodness and the righteousness and the love and the justice and the forgiveness in ourselves. And so what does God do? God is able. He provides for us in Jesus. He reveals to us who he is and his ability and his goodness and his love and his righteousness and his justice. He provides for us everything that we need. So as you read the story of Jesus, you will start to realize, I can't do this. I'm unable. I don't have the power. And what will you find on every single page? God's ability, meeting people's inability. And this is ultimately what he did for us on the cross. Is God meeting us in our inability? You and I could do nothing good on our own. And so what does Jesus do? He reveals God to us. How? By stretching his arms out on the cross. By offering his ability to pay the price for our sin that you and I could not. He gives himself for us. He says, this is the clearest revelation of who I am. This is why I came. So that you could know my ability meeting your inability. My love meeting your unlove. My forgiveness meeting your resentment. My justice meeting your injustice. On the cross, God reveals to us who he really is. And so what does it take to become a Christian? What does it actually mean to be a Christian? It's not closing your eyes until you feel it. It's not closing your eyes until you believe it. It is opening your eyes and seeing once and for all how God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And that in revealing himself to us in Jesus, he's inviting us to admit our inability so we can experience his ability. This is what he's done for us on the cross. It wasn't a secret. It didn't happen behind a curtain. He is inviting you to see and believe, which means that, right, when you struggle with doubt, when you struggle with questions, when you struggle with pain, when you struggle with with the uncertainty of life, uh, the answer is not to just close your eyes until you feel it again. It's to open your eyes and look at Jesus, to see who he is, see what he's done, to orient our lives around him. Because if God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, then everything is different. Right? If, if believing in Jesus is just a matter of closing my eyes until I feel it, right, then, then it can be whatever I want it to be. I can feel whatever I want to feel, and, and this is my Jesus, and you have your Jesus over there. But if, if God has revealed himself in history, in Jesus, a resounding gong throughout history, right, then now the invitation is to orient our lives around him. To, to look at who he is, to see who he is and how he lived and, and what he valued and, and how he cared for people and said, if that's what God's bell sounds like, then let's ring the same bell. If that's what God looks like, then let's look like that in our community. 
Right? So it's not about just ringing, ringing our own bell until we believe it. It's about seeing what God has done in Jesus and orient our lives around him. You see, this is why it's so important, church, right, that we reflect the values of Jesus, right, that we look at who he is, and like honestly, openly look at who he is. And anything that doesn't line up with him, we throw out. Because throughout the New Testament, what is the church called? The church is called the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which means that, that just as God has revealed himself in history, in Jesus, we are now invited to look like Jesus in our community, to look like Jesus in our families, to look like Jesus in our neighborhoods. Right? Because we are now his body. We are now, in a sense, ringing smaller bells in our neighborhood, in our block, in our home. So, so what's the tune of the bell that you're ringing? Is it you? Is it your politics? Is it your opinions? Or is it Jesus? Because God has revealed himself in Jesus. And so we know what he looks like. We know what he sounds like. And so the invitation is to ring a similar bell. And to ring the bell for each other as well. Right? So that when you're doubting, you, we come together and say, okay, you're doubting. Let me, let me remind you of who Jesus is. Right? In your doubt, here's who Jesus is. In your suffering, here's who Jesus is. In your questions, here's who Jesus is. He is God with us. And so let's orient our lives around him. Folks, our neighborhood needs to hear the bell. I mean, not, not because they've closed their eyes and they're believing it, but because the bell rings no matter what happens. The bell keeps ringing no matter what you feel, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what history or present or future, the bell keeps ringing. It is God with us in Jesus. Our neighborhood needs to hear the bell. See, there's a poet, his name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Maybe you've heard of him before. Uh, but he lived in the era of the Civil War, and, uh, and two things about him. He was, he was an abolitionist, so he, he worked to free enslaved people in that time. He would often buy people and then set them free with his own money. Uh, but he was also a pacifist, uh, so he didn't believe in taking up arms against someone else. And so, so the Civil War was kind of a complicated time for him. Uh, and in addition to that, his son enlisted in the war, and so his, his son disagreed with him on, on taking up arms, and so he went and enlisted, and, and, and Christmas came in the middle of this uh, war, and he received news that his son was injured in the battle. And so Christmas Day that year was really hard for him. He, he wasn't feeling the bells, if you will. He wasn't feeling the magic of Christmas. He was uh, feeling the weight and the pain and the suffering. And then on Christmas morning, as he woke up, he heard church bells. He heard bells ringing and resounding in spite of what he felt, in spite of his suffering and his pain. And so he wrote a, he wrote a poem called Christmas Bells. And it goes like this, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And he's saying God has come to us in history. And so the bells of the church community keep ringing. And they tell the truth, they tell the story of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then he says this, Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He's saying he cannot hear that sound because of the cannons, because of the warfare, because of the violence, because of the hatred. So what happens? He says, In despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Folks, that's where so many people are. That's where maybe you are this morning. Right? That the canons of life, the canons of 
uh, of conflict, the canons of violence, just keep people from hearing who Jesus is. And so what do we need? We need to hear the bells again. So he says this, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, what he's saying is the bells keep ringing. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how violent life gets, no matter how scary life gets, the bells keep ringing. Why? Because God has rung the bell in Jesus. He said, here's who I am. See and believe in who I am. And then ring the bell in your neighborhood. Ring the bell on your block. Ring the bell in your home, which is saying God is with us. And if God is with us, then peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's not a matter of just feeling it. It's not a matter of just closing your eyes and believing it. It's seeing who Jesus is. God wants you to know him. And that is why this morning as we gather around the table, I want you to consider the reality of Jesus. And Jesus is not just an idea in our heads. He's not just an idea in your heart. He's the king of the universe come to us. In our world, human like you and I are human. Suffered like you and I suffered. Stretched his arms out on a cross and died so that we could know the depths of his love. And he gave this table for us. He took bread and said, this is the reality of my body. Here in this world, it's about to be broken. He took a cup and said, this is the reality of my blood poured out for you so that you could know the promise that I am with you. And we are invited in the next few moments to be reminded of that. That God is not in our heads. He's not only in our hearts. He is king. And he has come to us in Jesus. So I'm going to pray. And then as we prepare to sing, I want to invite you to receive these elements. And the way that we do that is you come through the outside aisles here. There's hand sanitizer if you need that. You can come forward. Our elders will hand you a piece of bread. We've got gluten-free available if you need it. There's a cup on the table. Take that back. And as we sing, we're going to sing a song about the anthem of who God is in Jesus. Let this be a reminder that God has acted. He has revealed himself in history. He wants you to see and believe in who he is. And if you're struggling this morning or you're, you just need prayer, like we've got members of our prayer team who will be in the back as well. That, that if, you're, if your bell isn't ringing this morning, right, we want to invite you to, to pray with someone along the way so we can see and believe in who Jesus is. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That you don't ask us to have blind faith, closing our eyes to the questions of the pain of our world until we feel it, but you show up in Jesus, you ring a resounding bell throughout all of history, and you invite us to see and believe and savor who you are. God, for the one who's here this morning who, who's like that kid who, who's skeptical, who has questions and doubts and can't quite see you, would you show yourself to them? Would you show yourself to them through, through our community, through your word, through, uh, through the, the worship that happens in this space, and through your word? as they open it and say, Jesus, show me yourself. And God, I know there's people here who, uh, who the canons of life are loud. Uh, the, 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 the weight of life is loud right now. They, they don't feel the peace. They don't feel the goodwill. God, would you encourage them this morning? Would we encourage them this morning? That from this block and from the block of, of every house represented here in this neighborhood, here in this community, that bells would be ringing the bell that says that God has revealed himself in Jesus. And it's his name that we pray these things.
Amen.